0: Welcome to Rebel Business. This is episode six. Uh, my name's Mahal Patel. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Paul Samuel.
1: Howdy how? How you doing, Paul? I'm doing all right. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, Paul's out in LA. I'm here in uh, lovely New York. Um, and uh, today we have a lot of things to actually go over. So we'll jump into uh, the world of banking today. But uh, before we do, as we kind of have always done with each episode, we've talked about our co-producer, which is a chat bot uh, AI and um, pretty interesting developments that are happening this week. Uh, I don't know if you saw the headline, Paul, with IBM CEO coming out and saying that they think they're going to be able to potentially, I think, eliminate of their uh, back office functions with AI. And so they put a pause on hiring um, 7,800 positions. So sort of what we were just talking about only, I don't know, four or five weeks ago is already manifesting itself in the way people, large companies are budgeting themselves and making decisions, which I think is kind of wild, the, the speed of this.
1: Yeah. I totally agree with you. It's going to be interesting. We talked about it in that episode, how a lot of these call it more administrative functions were most at risk for the first wave of, uh, you know, job removal. And I think we're going to see, you know, it play out over the next year or two how AI can give it and take it away. Uh, a lot of people are talking about what net new jobs it will create, you know, analytics, like quality assurance, right? It's this thing still brain farts all the time. Sure. But yeah, net net, you have to believe that, you know, seventy eight hundred is a relatively small number, you know, for a company the size of IBM, but it's still
0: still you know, it's a it's a, it's, it's mean I think it's meaningful because they're already incorporating it in C-suite decision-making right that that's all that's the ceo of a very important publicly traded american company saying within five years 30 percent of their back office functions can be done by ai five years is really very fast i mean yes. and for an entire you know operational functionality to be replaced by uh, a new technology Um, You know, I think at first probably there'll be net losses in, in jobs and hopefully as it creates efficiencies, it creates other opportunities for more. But um, I, I'm i just amazed at how much it's making the headlines and penetrating the headlines so quickly. Uh, I yeah. thought this was going to be a slower ramp up. But hey, we did say this was going to be more like electricity than it was right. going to be like the internet. And I stand by that. I stand by that. I do think this is going to be like electricity.
1: The interesting thing for me as a parent is where do you push your child now, right? So uh, I mean, was- I don't know.
0: That's right, like our generation, there was
1: just this set of jobs that you knew were always going to be around, right? Mechanic, cashier, customer service roles, accountant of all sorts, accountant, right? Yeah, great point. Accountant, and now accounting, writing, you know, planning, scheduling, administrative, uh assistant, those are all jobs that you know you you in good conscience can't tell. Your children no, that that no. should be an aiming point, right? No, so. I mean it's
0: it's sort of you know, it's sort of like what happened in the Rust Belt, right? You know, on the manufacturing side, as they were seeing jobs being uh, you know, exported, sent offshore. You, you know, you you knew it was coming that okay, this pretty well-paying job that you know you could raise a family with, send your kids to school. You knew in a decade it wasn't going to be there any longer. Uh, so it's it's very similar, and I, I just think that that time frame is going to be faster. So this is something we're definitely going to keep an eye on uh, and touch on it in uh, future episodes for sure. But it's going to be in the headlines, um, and I think we we saw we just saw this happen over the course of a very short period. Um, you know, that was our first episode we were talking about that. But something else we talked about in our first episode was we thought that uh, the banks would wobble again. So uh, why don't we play that clip? You know, three, four weeks ago, we had those regional banks wobble. Um, I think before Labor Day, we're gonna have another wobble with the regional banks. Um, Okay, wobble or a failure? I wouldn't say a bank failure or a okay. bank run but a wobble where you know it's we're going breaking news type stuff and right. cnbc will talk about it for three four straight days again and we'll see values drop i want to be wrong on this yeah. but i don't think i'm going to be I, so it was a wild week right uh with first republic biting the dust you can
1: pat yourself on the back. It's okay. We'll, oh yeah,
0: uh, yeah. I definitely we'll pat myself moment. on the back. I posted that <laughs> all over the place. I, uh, I, I did it at CNBC a hundred times, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, they uh, caught it. But um, uh, you know, again, I I'm not happy. I was right about it. Um, yeah. It's it's never a good thing when a bank goes under. Um, but this, you know, this seemed like we weren't done with it uh uh you know whenever that was i think that was may or april 13th
1: uh yeah but but like all this came down in march just to kind of set the stage you know for those who haven't been following the story uh may 1st um first republic was effectively taken over by bank regulators it was very quickly sold to jp morgan chase Uh, This marks the second-largest bank failure in US history after WAMU, which was uh, part of the global financial crisis uh, failures. Uh, The interesting thing about this, I think, is there hasn't been like this huge ripple this week in the mid-market and small regional bank stocks, right? Like, people are kind of looking at this as, isolated problem only native to you know well, when when it public. initially happened no no now like before when it happened in in march everybody sort of suffered a little bit stock price wise right? the yeah. whole industry uh saw a dip but then things started to rebound and you know people have subsequently reported earnings a lot of the the mid bank mid major banks have reported earnings and so it's Stabilized. And then this week, just even in light of this, it's a this is a massive failure, right? Like this it is, is a no massive small,
0: failure. I mean, small small they, there is they weren't a small bank. And you know, you did see with some banks, you know, it seems like they may be in the same boat. You know, uh, Pac West, obviously, they lost a ton of value. There's a handful of uh regional banks that now are they have the spotlight on them and you know, I, it, it's interesting because, you know, you can look at it two ways here. Um, was it mismanaged or was this a bank run? And we were talking about this, you know, before. Um, It feels like it's a little bit of both. Uh, I, I think it was more of a bank run, though, honestly, where, you know, yeah, they had some losses, same with Silicon Valley Bank, uh, First Republic signature. But, you know, once that momentum starts, you know, and people start tweeting things that, hey, this bank is is in a lot of trouble. It's almost like what happened with the meme stocks in the opposite way, right? Where GameStop, they were able to shoot up the value. You can do the same thing on a downward side, right? And in the digital age, you know, people going out there people who have influence people who have a big viewership going out and saying the banking system is in crisis and there's a lot of trouble. It does create more of a run. I'm not saying that, you know, they weren't mismanaged and they didn't have losses, but it probably accelerated this. Right. I just think they just, it just wasn't a lot of time to recover here. And this is where we're at now where, um, you know, you get bad enough headlines, uh, it can it can put a bank under uh, when it may not, in fact, be in horrible shape. But look, when people pull deposits this quickly, banks go under. That's just what happens.
1: Yeah, the, I was reading somewhere, they lost $100 billion in deposits in Q1 2023. And, you know, I, I guess the difference between this and just a traditional you know money center retail bank that you and I uh, use the folks that are banking with First Republic have you know millions of dollars a very similar in nature to Silicon Valley Bank right they're yeah. moving very big similar. sums of money out and they're well networked within those circles right so word travels fast in wealthy, I mean, a full
0: way. disclosure. Uh, my company, we had the accounts at First Republic. Oh,
1: you did what did I done. do?
0: I moved the money. I mean, that's yeah, as a you know, that's my investors' money. I mean, I had to be responsible. I did, you know, I did leave it in there initially because I felt confident that hey, you know the Fed's going to come in, government's going to come in. But this last, right before this weekend, I did move it um, because I just felt like hey you know that's the responsible thing I don't think the money is going to get lost but in the one percent chance I have to so where'd the money go I moved it over yeah. to Merrill Lynch right a uh, which is part of Bank of America a larger bank that feels safer but you know while I made that prediction and said that I thought it was going to happen before Labor Day this is well before Labor Day yeah. um uh, it didn't even make it to the uh, first long weekend of the summer Um, I think because this happens so early and so quickly, I don't think it's going to be the last time we see this, this summer. Um, I, I just see that other banks are going to go down and it may go past the summer because there's still something that's out there that has that bomb of the commercial mortgages. It hasn't, it hasn't gone off that hasn't detonated yet. And That is still there. All of these office buildings you see behind me are not worth what they were just even a year and a half ago. And there's mortgages on there that are about to be maturing. And those owners have to find a way to pay back those loans. And I just don't see how that's going to happen. And that is going to have another impact in the banking sector i i just don't see how this is uh avoidable i, I don't see it being avoidable
1: yeah and, th- and there's a distinction right between what you're describing and, and the bank around liquidity crisis that first republic just suffered right this is more asset deterioration yeah uh left holding the bag i think again Absolutely. i read somewhere 20 to 25 percent of all bank asset holdings across sort of the the mid tier are commercial real estate yeah. uh, and you're right there's you know a lot of these especially these loans that were underwritten in recent years where asset values were inflated these are coming to roost uh a billion dollars in commercial real estate loans are going to need to be refied by the end of 2025 and yeah you know, the between current vacancy, which is something like 20% across the board. Uh, Yeah. This whole shift to your favorite topic uh, work from home. Yeah. Right. Uh, And then just, you know, delinquencies, we've seen a couple of, high-profile ones. I think Brookfield had another one uh, a week or so ago. Well, now they're happening. Yeah.
0: These defaults are happening left and right now. I mean, and they're going to continue to happen. And the thing with the commercial mortgages that back offices specifically, right? We know that values for all types of real estate has gone down, but a lot of that's because Interest rates were really low, and now they're really high. And that's easy for anybody to understand. You go to try to buy a house now, your mortgage payments are higher, right? So you expect the price, the asking price to be lower. Uh, In some, some geographic areas, that is happening. In others, the demand is just too high still, and the prices remain high. But the thing that's different about the office market, interest rates could go down to freaking 1%. It still wouldn't help because there's just not as many people going to the office, you know, so if you had a building, so for people that ask me all the time, well, well, what does that really mean? What does it mean that the building went down in value? And then how is it going to affect a bank? If you had a building, and you bought it for a 100 bucks, and you had $25 of equity in there, and $75 of debt equals 100, and the building's worth 100. But now let's just say the building has lost 40% of its value because 40% of the people are not signing leases and coming back. Your building's now worth $60, right? And you have lost the $25 of equity and you still have a $75 mortgage that you have to pay back. But even if you sell the building, you're only going to get 60 bucks, And so that's the problem. The bank that is owed that $75 is sitting there knowing that they're not going to get $75 back, that they're likely going to lose 15 bucks on it. And when you start adding zeros to the end of those numbers, it adds up. And so it is really hard for me to imagine a situation where we don't see some other banks failing that has nothing to do with mismanage a balance sheet. It's just they have loans that are simply not worth what yep. they underwrote at. That's it. There's uh, so a great I...
1: example this week uh, in San Francisco, 350 California Street Yep. in 2019 was, uh, I, I don't know if it was sold or it was valued at something in the order of $300 million. Just this week, it was put to auction and values were coming in, I think it's 70, 80 million dollars um, at the top end. So yeah, to your point, you're just gonna be left holding the bag. And these are all, you know, set up as separate LLCs that are um, you know, non-recourse debt. So Brookfield or whoever owns the property can walk away, hand the keys over, and make it the bank's problem. And 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 let's be really honest, and we this is where we saw some of this problem in the global financial crisis. Banks don't want to own property.
0: No, right? they don't want to be all.
1: holding the bag.
0: They so, don't. They don't. They're not in a position to really manage those things. And. You know, I think what's going to be different about this go around is it wasn't like there was a lot of sympathy for the banks in 2008, 2009. But right now, there's going to be none. You know, that word bailout isn't going to be used. I mean, right now, you know, if somebody asked the question, First Republic Signature, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, who really absorbed those losses? Well, it was the people who bought the stocks and the people who own bonds in those banks. That's who got burnt. So if you were somebody who owned shares of those banks, they're worthless now. And if you were a bondholder, maybe you're going to get 20 cents on the dollar of your principal back. So right now, the losses have been really concentrated to shareholders and bondholders. But I think a lot of that has to do with just, uh, I don't know, the persona that banks have in the U.S. right now. They're kind of like the new Death Star, the evil empire. Um, And, you know, I'm not defending the mismanagement of these banks, but I also don't look at banks as inherently evil. Um, I really don't. You need a functioning banking system, a strong, healthy banking system for capitalism to work and to create liquidity. I think those things, um, by definition, are not evil. I think, you know, I think we were talking about this. You know the big short was a it was a great movie, and I think they took a really complex subject and were able to explain it, but I think what it also did is it totally demonized anybody or, or all the financial institutions, and we both have worked there. It's not yeah. people in an office plotting to destroy the economy. That's not what's going on.
1: No, they're they're trying to find new ways to make money, right? And so Basically, yeah, I'll I'll simplify it as much as I can and see if you agree with this mayhole, but like the, the banking world has had to evolve over you know the last hundred years, where it went from just traditional, you know, buy and sell loans to more sophisticated asset holdings. And so now. You know, you look at what happened 20 some odd years ago where they were just securitizing a lot of these uh, mortgages and and assets that were just getting repackaged and sold out. It wasn't because they necessarily didn't want to be left holding the bag. It was just a way to make money. And there was huge demand from investors, institutional investors for these types of assets that were presumably the, the, the Damage was done with, you know, the risk management. Obviously, yeah, and, uh, it was just ba- basically
0: as well. is we can't have nice yeah. things, right? Yeah. We can't have nice things is what happened. But I, I totally understand what you're saying. But you know, the offshoot of that, all of what you described is sort of for for somebody who's not in finance, their their head might be spinning, saying, "Well, that just sounds like Paul just said these guys were just trying to make freaking money, and we all got screwed." That's not accurate. I don't think that is accurate. What it did create was, man, in 2005, 2006, 2007, if you wanted to get a mortgage, you could get a mortgage. You did not even need a job to get a mortgage then. So what it gave to the Consumer to the buyer, whatever you are, the individual was—you now had access to buy a home. Getting a mortgage was much yeah. easier because these products were created, and you can make the argument of who created the mess. Sure, right, okay, I get it. They the share mess. that responsibility. Yeah, there's no no right. question. If the bartender's making the drinks too strong, well, yeah, you know, hey they've contributed to getting the guy drunk, right? I mean, but the person drinking the drink has a little bit of responsibility too to know how much they're consuming, right? A lot,
1: a lot of responsibility. Yeah,
0: and so if if you're somebody who had no income and you were buying two houses at a time to try to flip them, look, you know, that's the other side of the equation is we can't have nice things. Uh, As that's what happens when you give people nice things, they fuck it up. And so I, I do. And again, you know me. I hated working at a bank. I yeah. loathed it. There was not an incident that I enjoyed coming to the office. All right. The alarm would go off and I would curse and I would curse and I would curse. I felt like a working stiff at age 21. So there's no love lost there. It's not as if I'm defending the banks because I have a bias. I, I don't, I, I really didn't enjoy working there. I did not aspire to be anyone in our department. You know, that wasn't what I was trying to do. But at the same time, to just place all the blame onto financial institutions is, it's it's not even just naive, it's reckless. And it can create things like a bank run, which is my concern, right? You start putting this on social media and saying that this bank and that bank you can create a bank run. And that's how we will all suffer from that. There will be less liquidity in the market. And so I just think this is a, so we're living through a very interesting time now because of the social media component. We didn't have that in 2008 and 2009. Um, So that's something to keep an eye on. I I hope that it doesn't have an impact, but it could. It it certainly could.
1: Yeah, I I like where this is going. So we could do, an entirely separate episode on personal finance and how people approach, uh, you know, debt and yeah. um, and their their kind of monthly budget, uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that there's shared responsibility. We can't just indict banks uh, singularly in this. They were certainly partly responsible for perpetuating the mess and providing access to these no lock, you know no doc low doc yeah. uh borrowers but yeah it 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 also bears saying if you knew that you couldn't service the debt and or you were hanging down by a thread
0: yeah why man. did you
1: do it in the first place and
0: you don't go to the gym and try to bench 350 if you can't lift the bar. Yeah i mean you just don't you'll get crushed and if you take on too much debt that you can't afford yeah you'll get crushed that's what happens i mean It's third grade math. Uh, And I get that maybe those mortgages were complicated and you had mortgage brokers that needed to be regulated. They were really sleazy with their sales tactics. I get all that. And there's not just one single person to blame. Um, And I think as we look at our economy now and how everybody's saying recession, recession, this and that, there's no one person to blame. I mean, The Starwood CEO, uh, I think he came out this week saying that these rate hikes... Are idiotic. Um, And you can have an opinion if we should be having rate hikes or not. But if the rate hikes were idiotic, where was your ass the last five years when they were at historic lows? Because that was idiotic too. And so where was your voice saying maybe we should not have near zero rates. But you know what, that, that benefited him because he's in real estate, yeah. right? And so uh, there's just a lot of opinions being floated out there. And there's going to be a lot of finger pointing. Generally speaking, there's a lot of people that are going to be responsible here. But I don't think you can just blame one sector, one industry. Um Everybody's contributed to this. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not going to full disclosure, I've been a beneficiary of low interest rates being a yep. commercial real estate developer. I'm not going to sit here and say I didn't benefit from it. Of course I did. But I've been saying for years, like, I can't believe these rates are still this low. It's still, yeah. it's still was shocking to me how long that lasted. But I do think we're kind of at a pivot point here with banking. You know, one other thing that obviously is going to change is from the kind of brick and mortar banking to the digital space. Right. You know, we're probably seeing potentially kind of the last years of this go into a bank branch, do your banking um, in that very traditional way. I mean, there's some interesting stats I saw about um, digital banking, and it was like 50% of Americans say they will use digital banking more. 60% want financial literacy in their app right, which is what you were just talking about managing your monthly budgets, and they were hoping that AI will help with that. But 74% of that 60% are from the ages of 18 to 34. So it's sort of like this whole new generation is going to come in and probably demand more on the digital banking side. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you have a different opinion of that, but it, that just seems like that tide's coming in.
1: Oh, it's, it's already here, right? I, I'm not that generation, but I am pretty firmly entrenched in digital banking. The, the only problem that digital banking presents is if you have cash that you don't want to stuff under your mattress, uh, they don't give you a mechanism to deposit cash. So like, for example, when you get married, if a bunch of people stuff, cash into envelopes and hand them to you, uh, if you're only using an online bank,
0: yeah, there's nowhere to put hand that.
1: Hand it to your, you know, family member, tell them to write you a check, which you then turn around and deposit. But beyond that, honestly, that is like the only friction that exists. Um, and and the the only other instance where I have relied on a physical bank location is if I'm doing like a home project and I'm paying
0: you're in paying cash, cash but right it, yeah I mean there's probably still some cash industries you know I think the service industry potentially Absolutely. might yeah. still people still might tip in cash I still um I still tip my barber in cash in um cash. Okay. but it, it's limited at this point you know it, it's interesting because like the banking industry is one of these industries that barely has changed right it's sort of always been old like I guess like the biggest change was like the ATM machine way back when was you know groundbreaking and then I don't know how much has changed since the invention of the ATM I mean this is the industry where it's totally normal to go to work with a freaking bow tie every day of the (laughs) week I mean it is boring as fuck this industry um but I think massive change is is definitely coming Um, I mean, look, I like you you just said that I think the vast majority of people probably don't need to go in as somebody who I was a First Republic um, customer client, whatever you want to call it. uh, I went into the branch all the time and it was more because I did like the customer service. I mean, it was great. You walk in with a check. I would just hand it to him. I didn't even have to fill anything. You have to do anything. Yeah, it was great. They had they had cookies that were freshly baked every day. Espresso
1: machine. Yeah, I loved it. I
0: loved going in. So you know, but that's I'm the anomaly. I do I do still think um, for more complex transactions, you're going to need some of that human touch still. Um, large transactions. I think there was an article in the American Banker um, kind of touching on that, saying, you know, AI is going to probably uh, have a massive impact on banking and create more of a digital ecosystem. But that human inaction and need for that human touch probably is still going to be needed. Um, I can see that on complicated situations, but my day to day banking, I mean, you know, I use, is all online, right? But I I will say I did like the First Republic experience because I went from Bank of America where the customer service is just atrocious, right? That's, you walk in and it's, it's just, there's Bank of America was the most ridiculous customer service because you'd walk in and they would dial the same number that you dial to get help for you. And I was like, well, that's the same number I have. That's the same yeah. customer service. Number stay I home. Have. Yeah. And so I think that's that that type of commodity service is what I think most people are used to. And I use Bank of America for my personal stuff. And sometimes it is frustrating because going into the bank branch, sometimes it's harder to do what I want there than you know online or over the phone. But it, it's going to change. I mean, bank branches, I could tell you on the real estate side, you know, plenty of them are closing, you know, they they don't renew their leases. And that used to be a staple. Uh, be great if you had a bank uh, as a tenant, but not anymore. Uh, I see less and less of that. Yeah, the, the there's this convergence
1: that's been going on the last 10, 15 years between banking and money management, right? So I use Charles Schwab, which is more a brokerage than it is a bank, but they're using the bank to kind of funnel people into yeah. their wealth management, asset management uh, practice. And, and within that, you start to see almost every brokerage is now charging zero per trade. It's, it's all done. You know They do their bid yeah. ask uh, fees and then they also will, if they're actively managing funds for you, Take you know an AUM fee, so I think what at it at what you've said previously in this conversation holds weight. The one thing I would layer on top of that is um, it's not necessarily just the complexity of the transactions; it's also um, who wants to who wants to use a if you're going to use a robo advisor. Or even yeah. use AI to manage your money. It's probably going to be smaller amounts, right? The, that you don't need to move around very often. But even if you're a million dollars in assets, right, which doesn't get you into the tiers of, you know, private client services for Goldman Sachs and no, uh, Merrill Lynch, no. but not even. But close. it's a substantial amount of money, and you want essentially, you know a person to call and yell at when things aren't going. The hell well. yeah, it's man. To do I mean, for, you
0: want, yeah. I, 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 and I, maybe it's our age. I don't know. You know, it, yeah. to me, it's, you know, as an entrepreneur being broke for a very long time and then yeah. finally coming into some level of success. Yeah, man, I want some service. I want, yeah. I want somebody to call when I need help. I, I do. Even, even at,
1: at additional expense, right? Like there, there's, there's, a fair amount of evidence that like the actively managed funds uh aren't yielding enough to warrant their you know 80 basis point to uh one percent aum fee right so they're they're not necessarily outperforming what you would get from a robo advisor or just parking money in a vanguard fund but people want like human-powered Analysis. They want somebody that they can call and and yell at, and so I don't think it's going away. I do think you know it is going to change, and there's going to be more people that move their money into these
0: kind of robo funds and for sure. I mean, it's gonna it's it's gonna be reduced. I think there was a stat out there that um, bank branches peaked in 2009 at 100,000, and so it's been slowly declining since then. Um, it, It will be interesting to see what that demographic from 18, uh, to 34, that age group, what they become comfortable with. But, um, it would be hard for me to completely deviate from that. When we're working on a large transaction, you know, we are calling our bankers and and telling them, Hey, you know, wires are coming in, wires are going out. We want to confirm everything, um, but who knows uh, you know in 5 years maybe the guy at IBM is right i'm not going to care i'm going to be like oh well this is just as efficient i i don't know i'm open to it but i will probably be one of the people who jumps in a little bit later uh cuz i i really did like those cookies man they were <laughs> they were awesome and they gave you free umbrellas dude it was great wow it was That's great kind of nice it was great Especially in new york where you
1: have to your choices, when it's raining in New York, your choices of umbrellas, which are grossly overpriced and <laughs> you know basically single use, it's pretty thin. Oh, no, uh, it's the $2 dollar umbrella
0: that might get you across the street. Yeah. But uh, these are firm, man. These are big boy umbrellas, man. These, wow. I got three of them. These things are going to last me. Uh, they're going to last me that five years till AI takes over for sure. Oh, uh, but it's an interesting topic, the banking uh, space uh, is something that we're probably going to bring up in future episodes because, like I said earlier, the uh, commercial real estate cyclone has just not hit landfall yet, and it will. Um, once it it's gets... scary. It is. I I, it. I think yeah. it, it. I hope it is a slow burn, and I hope that we will be able to, you know, really absorb some of these losses and and maybe. Owners sell these to other people, and and you can at least pay back a portion of the debt. Um, from that example I was talking about, instead of sixty dollars, maybe you can get sixty eight, and the losses will be tighter than we think. But the office sector is the one that you know I'll keep bringing it up. Um, I am worried about, and again, I hope to be wrong. But uh, anyway, we're uh, coming to the end of our episode and uh, something that Paul and I like to do because uh, we're big movie fans is uh, sort of this seg- seg- segment that um, we're calling Trailer Trash, where we watch a trailer and try to guess if it's going to be a hit or a flop and how much money it is going to make in its premiere weekend. And this weekend, uh, the movie that premiered was Love Again. It's a rom-com, and I will read you the description of it. Um, it is, coping with the loss of her fiancé, Mira Ray, sends a series of romantic texts to his old cell phone number, not realizing it was reassigned to journalist Rob Burns. Rob becomes captivated by the honesty of her words in the beautifully constructed text when he's assigned to write a profile of superstar Celine Dion, he enlists her help to figure out how to meet Mira in person and win her heart. Um, <laughs> so, all right, perfect. so I watched the preview. Did you watch the preview?
1: I, I did. I just watched the preview. I had no intention of watching this movie, but I did see. Uh, I did see the two minute preview. Not impressed, but.
0: Uh, it was two minutes and 53 seconds, and I know that because I started looking at the clock on that thing at about one minute and one second, and I didn't even want to watch the whole preview, dude. I didn't oh, want to watch the whole preview. It was like so bad that bianca
1: chopra jonas you got to throw the jonas in there now celine dion two of your
0: favorites i mean it just there's nothing that could make me watch this movie you would have to like 500 dollars probably wouldn't be enough you, you'd have to give me more money to go sit through this freaking thing and it's it's just it's terrible first it's a, it's based in new york and like anybody yeah who's ever dated in New York. Give me a freaking break. This guy's basically a stalker. All right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's what that's, he is. Yeah. That's what he see stalking a widow essentially. <laughs> and yeah. And another thing <laughs> is she, if she was a widow, I don't think she'd have any freaking problems meeting a guy. All right. I don't think any, none, I yeah, guess she's heartbroken because the guy died apparently, but right. it was, it's a, uh, but prediction wise, but uh, what do you think? $9 million budget. How much money do you think it's going to make opening weekend? So, just so my be- first... before, before you say anything, in 1993, a similar movie, Sleepless in Seattle, made $17 million opening weekend, uh, which is in today's dollars would be $34 million. So keeping all of that into consideration, yeah. what do you think it's going to make uh, in its opening weekend?
1: So I think it's going to outperform $34 million. Um,
0: Exactly. In the opening <laughs>
1: weekend, you think this thing is going to no. make more oh, than so you just more? Yeah, actually, you know, I, I'm going to go with that, right? For a couple of reasons. Number one, I've looked at what's on the docket for the movie. theaters. There ain't a whole lot out there right now. Um, so competition is pretty thin. Uh, the other part of this that's really interesting to me, you mentioned $9 million budget, like Celine Dion, where have you fallen she signed a billion dollars billion dollar (laughs) residency deal in las vegas like i don't know a decade ago and now you're doing a deal for pennies um i mean maybe she's doing
0: it for fun uh maybe this is like a hobby movie for her i don't know so you think it's gonna make 34 i think it's gonna make nine hundred (laughs) thousand dollars Yeah, not i'm not telling possible. you it's gonna make not 900k possible. that's it. it if it makes more than a million bucks i would be surprised it shouldn't Um, uh, but we were right about our prediction last week let's roll that clip there's a movie coming out this weekend uh about george foreman's life my prediction on this movie is i love george foreman but i think this movie is going to flop so, i'm with you i think this flops
1: way more pessimistic than you guys. I think
0: more, okay. Oh, I I
1: I, I don't I don't think it's going to do a lot. I th-
0: Yeah, so unfortunately uh George Foreman, who uh, I think is a is a great personality, unbelievable story, uh the movie was a flop. Um it made 1 million dollars across 3000 theaters in America last weekend. And the budget was 32 million, so I, I'm gonna have to say that is going to become a flop. uh, uh Again, I didn't want to be right because I'm a George Foreman fan, but that trailer, come on! I didn't have to see it the all. movie. I didn't have to see the movie. Same, similar to Love Again. I do not have to see that movie. That trailer has told me all that I need to know. They're making, I'm putting 975 thousand yeah. dollars.
1: That's pretty, how, a pretty
0: precise estimate $975,000 we'll see next week uh, who's right that's a big gap 34 million and 975,000 but I don't know uh anyway that's going to be our episode this week um let's hope no banks crash uh this week fingers and crossed yeah you never know you never know no memes let's uh hope uh all ends well this week but um We will catch you next week uh, on episode seven. And until then, uh, have a good one.
1: See everyone.